The second Bible reading this morning is taken from James chapter 5 and we'll be reading verses 1 to 6. And that can be found on page 1269 of this Pew Bible. James chapter 5 verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Let us pray. Our Father, who is able to open your word and feed your people? No man. No man is capable of doing that. The feeding of your people is your responsibility. And so we plead with you now, Abba Father, that you would use the agency of my mind, my intellect, my voice, all of my feeble preparations and the frailty of my heart to feed your people and to feed them well because you are the great high priest and the good shepherd. So we pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. I used to be quite fearful of wealth. I used to be quite fearful of being wealthy. You see, the reason for my fear of wealth was the devastation that I had seen in the lives of people and friends and families all around me. These people hoarded wealth and led fruitless lives lives that appeared foolish and not pleasing to God. Before my family and I came to Melbourne in 2004, my wife and I worked as doctors in the Ministry of Health in Malaysia, where doctors are paid very little. We were not wealthy and just had enough to survive. We never lived in our own home and never had extra for the finer things in life. I was erroneously quite comfortable in the thought that if I was not wealthy, I could escape the dangers of wealth. However, God had different ideas. He called us to Melbourne, and our, li and our lives changed forever. We became rich by any standard that we care to use. Therein is the problem. I struggled with not only the handling of wealth, but also the guilt of being wealthy. What I didn't realize was that being rich is not a bad thing. The Bible nowhere condemns wealth itself. 
we have a great encouragement from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Moses wrote, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God owns all wealth and graciously gives us wealth so that we may use it for his glory. However, our sinful tendency is to always hoard wealth and use it for our own pleasures. Hoarding wealth is utter foolishness because we can't take our wealth with us to the grave. Hoarding wealth is absolute stupidity because God gives us wealth for the use of the furtherance of his kingdom and the glory of his name. So for hoarding wealth means to sin against God. It, it means to love the gift more than the giver. If we look all around us and study the life of the rich and famous, we will inevitably learn the painful truth that hoarding wealth leads to tragic consequences. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ spoke more about the dangers of wealth than about heaven and hell. James chapter 5 verses 1 to 6 is a very uncomfortable and confronting passage, both for you to hear and for me to preach, because the word of God searches our hearts deeply. James wrote this letter to the church consisting of the rich and poor Jews outside of Israel in the first century. The rich in this passage were most likely non-Christians because of the way James wrote about them. In chapter one of his letter, James warned the rich that wealth does not last forever. And in chapter two, he referred to the rich as those who oppress the poor, drag them to court and blaspheme the name of God. Very unsavory descriptions indeed. And finally, in chapter five, he tears into them for hoarding wealth and their ungodly lifestyle. This passage applies to Christians then and now. Because if we were honest, we will confess that we do hoard wealth and expose ourselves to all manner of ungodliness. So, if we distill this passage to its essentials, we would arrive at this central and important truth. God will judge the rich for hoarding wealth and ungodliness. God will judge the rich for hoarding wealth and ungodliness. Please follow me in your Bibles as we work through this passage. We will divide the passage into two sections. Verses one to three, which highlights the first point, the foolishness of hoarding wealth. And verses four to six, which reveals to us the second point, the fruitlessness of hoarding wealth. Let us look at the first point, the foolishness of hoarding wealth. The rich people mentioned in this passage were landowners who were guilty of cheating the poor of their wages. This means they accumulated wealth wrongfully 
and hoarded wealth. Is hoarding, hoarding wealth a wise thing to do? No, it's not. Hoarding wealth is foolish because wealth will not last forever. Let me unpack this. Let us look at verse 1. The now listen that James writes may be understood as a command to the rich people to attend to the call immediately. James offered the readers a telescopic view of what was going to happen to their wealth. In this view of the future, the rich were shown that they would weep and wail, which means like they were to burst into weeping or howling with grief. Why would the rich person grieve in such a manner? This, therefore, speaks about the unprecedented suffering that the rich will be facing in the future. This should make the rich sit up and take serious notice about James's warning. Will the rich take notice, though? What about you and I? Will we take notice about what God is telling us in this passage? The suffering that the rich will endure includes watching their precious wealth destroyed. In verses 2 to 3, James refers to three categories of wealth that will be destroyed. Wealth in verse 2 means abundance of external possessions. In the first century, this could have referred to land, houses, sheep, goats, bulls. Today, this refers to investment properties, holiday homes, boats, caravans, cars, among other external possessions that we take pride in. Rotted means to decay or destruction, signifying that all of these external possessions will be utterly destroyed. How many houses or investment properties does each one of us have? What is it all for? Are we therefore guilty of hoarding wealth? In verse 2, James referred to the second category of wealth the rich hoarded. Your garments are moth-eaten. It is significant that throughout history, one's clothing has been a mark of social and economic standing. The clothing of the rich in James's time consisted of material containing animal fibers such as silk, wool, cashmere, fur, the kinds that moth larvae loves and destroys. It is like the extreme unhappiness you will experience if your $1,500 Hugo Boss suit or a $2,000 Armani evening gown was destroyed unexpectedly. At the end of the day, they are just clothes that will be destroyed eventually anyway. Isn't it foolish to put one's emphasis on expensive clothes instead on things that matter like taking care of the poor and needy? In verse 3, we are shown the third category of wealth, gold and silver. Corrosion here may be understood as rusting. Gold and silver were the measure of a person's worth in the first century. These metals, 
especially Go, do not corrode or rust, which means this refers to an unprecedented destruction at the time of God's final judgment. Today, gold and silver may be equivalent to a big savings account, impressive investment portfolio, or a fat super. Such wealth could be easily destroyed by the crash of the share market. Remember the global financial crisis in 2008, which wiped out many rich people's wealth overnight? This just highlights the foolishness of hoarding wealth, which will be destroyed one way or the other. Where is your wealth invested in? Is it invested in this world that is passing? Or is it invested in the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ? Hoarding wealth is also foolish because God's judgment is coming. The word of God is very clear that God's judgment is coming for both Christians and non-Christians. Everyone will face the great white throne judgment that we read about in Revelation chapter 20. Everything done whilst we were alive will be judged. Those whose name is written in the book of life will inherit the new heaven and new earth. Those whose name is not in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. This is what their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire in this passage refers to. Isn't this ironical? Wealth which the rich trusted turned against them like prosecution witness. It is like having my wife turn prosecution witness in the court of law. The final part of verse 3 says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. You see, the rich were ignorant that they were living in the last days. This period of time refers to the time between the birth of Jesus Christ and the time of Christ's final coming and judgment. It is a time of grace and opportunity to heed God's warning and turn from hoarding wealth and gratifying the desires of our flesh. In light of the truth that we live in the last days, in light of the truth that we are to face God's judgment, how should we live our lives how should we use the wealth that God has given us for his glory? How will your wealth and my wealth testify about us? Will it exonerate us or will it condemn us? Despite the seeming harshness of this portion of scripture, I would like us to see the kindness and mercy of God. Remember Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. The Lord declared, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God graciously gives the rich people a telescopic view of the eternal suffering that they will in endure in order to turn them from their wicked ways so that they may repent 
and turn to him through Jesus Christ alone. Eight years after moving to Melbourne, my family and I were very comfortable and we had more than we could have ever imagined. We even had bought our own home by then and could afford the finer things in life. We considered ourselves wealthy, uncomfortable, but wealthy. Then disaster struck. In 2012, God taught me an unforgettable lesson. Our house was burgled. We lost a good number of values, cash and expensive items, including several of my wife's expensive jewelry. These jewelries were of significant value, not just from a monetary point of view, but also from a sentimental point of view. Though we grieved about the violation of our home and the loss of our valuables, we learned a painful lesson that we must not hoard wealth because it will not last forever. The force of the truth that we live in the last days hit us like a hammer blow. The words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 sounded like trumpet blast in our ears. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. As a family, then we decided to hold on to our wealth lightly and to use it for the glory of God alone. Handling wealth, trust me, has not been easy. And though we failed many times, we declare today as a family that Jesus Christ has graciously and faithfully kept us on the straight and narrow. All glory be to him alone. In verses 1 to 3, we have seen how the rich, confronted with the reality of the foolishness of hoarding wealth, which will be destroyed by this coming judgment of God, we will now look at the second point, the fruitlessness of hoarding wealth. All of us are to live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ and please him in every way, pleasing God by bearing fruit of Christ-likeness should therefore become our chief aim. However, in verses four to six, we discover the rich who hoard wealth were not fruitful because hoarding wealth leads to acts of ungodliness. Look at verse four. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The rich landowners hired day wage earners to mow their fields and work their land but cheated these poor peasants by not paying them their daily wages. The rich committed fruitless deeds of ungodliness by violating the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Do you know why this is such a terrible cruelty? For the poor, the daily wage is the only means of buying daily meals for themselves and their families. Do you know what happened to them? They would have had to borrow money from moneylenders to buy food, thus getting them deeper into financial difficulties 
and eventually they will end up in prison for failing to pay their debt because that was how the system worked in the first century. The implication of crying out against you here is that this act of ungodliness, whether done in secret or in the open, is fully known by God, the all-powerful and all-knowing sovereign king of the universe. How would you feel if the bank sent big, burly, and rowdy debt collectors to harass you to pay up your mounting credit card debt or threaten to sue you for every last penny that you have? Imagine your anguish. Now multiply that by a hundred. That was the anguish of these poor peasants. What did they do? They cried out to God. In verse 4 we read, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. This is an assurance not only to the poor but also to all of God's people that God always hears our cries. Look at the name of God used here by James, Lord Almighty, also rendered as the Lord of hosts. This refers to God as the Lord of the armies of heaven. In other words, God is pictured as the supreme commander of the most powerful army in all of creation who will defend the cause of the poor and the needy. The wicked rich did not realize that when they cheated the poor, they declared war against the most powerful commander of the most powerful army in all the universe. Knowing that the Almighty God is fully aware of their wicked deeds, will the wicked rich change their ways? Sadly not. They will continue to hoard wealth and remain fruitless in their life because hoarding wealth leads to hardening of heart. Why is this so? Unrepentant, fruitless and sinful life begets more sin leading to a life that gets deeper into sin, resulting in hardening of hearts. Let us see how this happens. In verse 5, we see that money stolen from the poor fed the rich people's life of excess. Luxury and self-indulgence points to an excessive and ungodly lifestyle that is fully given to the pursuit of pleasure at the cost of everything that is good and right. Once a person gets into this dark and sinful place, it results in hardening of heart, leading to increasing wretchedness and fruitlessness. Further, in verse 5 we read, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Imagine a fat cattle lazily chomping away at lush green grass, completely at ease, ignorant that it will be slaughtered that very day. Similarly, the rich, so consumed by their ungodly, pleasure-filled lifestyle, were ignorant that they were living in the final days of their lives and were to face God's fiery judgment. What about you and I? Are we consumed by the life of wealth, comfort, and pleasure in this land of plenty? Australia is the 10th richest country in the world. 
how do we as God's people avoid worshipping wealth and comfort? Finally, in verse 6, James wrote, You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Due to their ungodly, fruitless lifestyle that flowed from a hardened heart, the rich mercilessly refused to help their workers who were condemned to the prison by their debtors. Though murdered may be taken figuratively, the wicked rich were nevertheless considered an accessory to murder because the poor had no legal or financial means of getting out of prison. This is violation of the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Are you a business owner, an employer, or even a supervisor? How do you treat those who work under you? Do you pay their wage on time? Do you deal with them kindly? Even if we are not employers or business owners, what should our attitude be to the oppressed poor of our day, the homeless, the destitute, the single mothers? The problem of robbing of the oppressed poor workers of their wages remain a major problem even today. In Australia, we face the ugly and embarrassing problem of migrant worker abuse by farmers and business owners. In March 2019, Migrant Workers Task Force established by the government in response to a series of investigations by The Age and ABC revealed the staggering extent of financial exploitation of these employees. The task force chair, Professor Alan Fells, wrote, as many as 50% of temporary migrant workers in Australia may be underpaid in their employment. Many of these workers were not paid their wages at all, and there are even reports of deaths among these people. Sadly, there are also reports of church leaders who were guilty of such ungodliness. Invariably, these unscrupulous employers were guilty of hoarding wealth. Like the wicked rich in this passage, these unscrupulous employers engaged in fruitless and ungodly deeds that flowed from a hardened heart. If we are honest, like the rich in this passage, we too must confess we too foolishly hoard wealth in small and large ways, resulting in fruitless deeds. We too are often tempted to indulge our flesh in acts of ungodliness rather than pleasing God. All of us struggle to use the wealth of God, wealth God has given us. Based on what we have learned from this passage, let me conclude with two applications. The first application is, how do we avoid the foolishness of hoarding wealth? As Christians, we cannot do it on our own. We need God's help. 
the most powerful and perfect antidote for foolishness of hoarding wealth is the wisdom of God. We need wisdom which comes only from God. Wisdom is freely available to all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Jesus Christ alone can enable us to live a God-honoring life with our wealth because Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Which means, as Christians, Christ indwells us. If that is so, and if Christ is the wisdom, then we should be able to use the wisdom to execute our wealth in a godly manner. But we don't do that. This is because we do not know how to use the wisdom that is in us. So how do we use the wisdom that God has deposited in us? We saturate our minds with scripture, with the word of God, the daily reading, meditating, memorizing, sharing of the word of God, saturates our mind. And using this, God the Holy Spirit will illuminate our mind, liberating us to use the wisdom that God has given us so that we may use the wealth in a God-honoring, Christ-exalting manner. To those who are not Christians, your wealth will all be destroyed and God's judgment is certain. Therefore, this is the time for you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. God has given you wealth that must be used for his glory. He will call you to give an account of your life and the way you used your wealth. Therefore, if today you hear God's warning loud and clear, I plead with you, do not turn away from him. The second application point is this. How do we avoid the fruitlessness of hoarding wealth? We do this by pleasing God with our wealth. How do we do that? By our good conduct, we show our works in the meekness of the wisdom that we have already learned how to use in a free manner. We must never stop asking, how can I live all of my life and use my wealth in the service of King Jesus? Practically, we can do this by tithing generously, not just 10%, more generously. Support missions, missionaries. We can give away our expensive clothes that is lying dormant in the closet for years. We can give away things that we don't use. We must therefore, in essence, do regular spring cleaning of our wealth. To guard ourselves against hoarding, we can have accountability partners. Our growth groups are great places to do that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm no longer fearful of wealth. Though I will continue to battle temptations to foolishly hoard wealth 
and engage in fruitless deeds of ungodliness, I know that through Jesus Christ I have the wisdom to overcome these temptations and put my wealth to work for the glory of God and the good of his people. I will constantly remind myself that it is for freedom that Christ has set me free, so I should not be yoked by the bondage of slavery, of hoarding wealth. In James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, God warns all rich people about not only the foolishness of hoarding wealth, but also the tragic consequences of hoarding wealth. God is a God of mercy. He gives us ample opportunities to hear his warning and turn our lives around in order to please him. Yet, he is also a God of justice and will judge all of us for the way we use our wealth. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let us therefore use every available opportunity to please God with our wealth to the praise of Christ's glorious grace. While we still have breath, time, energy, and the means to do so, let us pray.